0: For those who don't know me, my name is Andrew Maples, and I'm a pastoral resident here, and we're continuing our study of the book of Acts. So this morning, we will be in Acts 4, 5 through 31. It's Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 31, and you can go ahead and start turning there now. So if you're new to the Bible, that is great. I'm so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. This is a great place to ask questions and to learn and come together. We'd be excited to talk to you. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone. Just Google Acts 4, 5 through 31 ESV. That's Acts 4, 5 through 31 ESV. And ESV is just the name of the translation we use. So as you're pulling that up, just to fill you back in, we're picking right back up where we left off last week. So in Acts chapter 3, just right before this, Peter and John miraculously healed a lame man. Okay, so a man who couldn't walk is now running around the city. The people are amazed. They're asking Peter and John, how in the world did you do this? And Peter and John take that moment to preach the gospel, and thousands upon thousands are saved. As Eric said last week, it has got to be one of the best days in church history. It would have been so sweet, but not everyone liked this. Okay, so there's some religious leaders didn't like Peter and John, they threw them in jail, and now in our chapter, they're standing trial before these religious leaders, not knowing what's about to happen. That's where we jump in. So, if you would, look down with me, Acts chapter four, and we'll begin reading at verse five. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, For there was no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth And the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God. And before we dive into this text, I would ask that you'd please just join me in a prayer, asking the Lord to help us understand this uh, Understand this passage. Please bow your heads with me. Well, Father, we come before you wanting to know you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see the things that you have for us this morning. Give us hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, O oh Lord. Open our eyes, give us understanding, Lord, and change our hearts, Lord, Don't let us leave here the same. So we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, from one of the best days in church history to the lowest, from the highest to the low, the church meets their first opposition. You know, so in our context, it's related to us, it doesn't seem like we're facing physical persecution, all right? Okay, you know we're gonna face persecution, you get that, but perhaps maybe our opposition looks a little similar to what we see in chapter four, all right? So there's pressure to conform, there's intimidation, there's this threat of rejection. And it's really just this temptation to remain silent. right, so just think about it. Okay, You, you might have a friend or a loved one who doesn't like Christianity. And even when you have the chance, and you will have the chance, you don't mention your faith around them because you don't want to make them mad. You know, maybe you don't want people to make fun of you. You know, maybe you refuse to call some things a sin because you want to be politically correct. Maybe you could lose your job. You see, we're often tempted to be silent in the face of opposition. We're tempted to be silent in the face of opposition. We're tempted to shrink back where it's safe. You know, we'll never deny Christ, okay? We'll never deny Christ, but we don't want to mention him either. So Acts 4 speaks to these temptations. It's so helpful. And brothers and sisters, we learned that we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back. When the time comes, we are not silent about our faith. We're not silent about our faith. So you might be saying, okay, you know, that's not me. I get nervous, I get anxious. How in the world do I act with the same boldness as a Peter or a John? How do I do that? Well, there's two points from our text that I want to talk about. It's that we are not those who shrink back. Because we know the Scriptures, and we rely on the Holy Spirit. So, one, we know the Scriptures, and two, we rely on the Holy Spirit. So, point one, we don't shrink back because we know the Scriptures. We know God's Word. So, when we think about opposition or persecution, it's really helpful sometimes just to, just to step back and to look around and understand the full picture of what is going on. So what does Scripture tell us is really happening all around us? Commenting on this passage, there's a, there's a scholar named Christopher Ash, and he says that, that in Acts 4, that we see that it's about God and the pattern of the world. We see a fundamental power structure at the heart of the universe, and it's this, it's God's king will rule, and the world cannot stop it. It's that God's King will rule and the world cannot stop it. It's coming. And the early church knew this. The early church got this. They knew that God's kingdom is inevitable. So they knew Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, but people and spiritual forces, they wage war against God's kingdom. And their conviction to stand strong, their conviction comes from an understanding of Scripture. And we see this both in Peter's speech and in the believer's prayer. So, look at Peter before the Sanhedrin. Look with me at verse 11. Now, Peter, it's interesting because he's not trying to prove his innocence, okay? He's not trying to talk his way out of anything. I wouldn't be doing that. I would be doing everything I could to get out of there. The guy's on trial, and he's using it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. So verse 11, speaking to the religious leaders, he says that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That this Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. So what in the world does that mean? It's a little tricky when you're going through it. What does Peter mean by that? Okay, when we well, see here, Peter is actually quoting the Psalms. He's quoting the Old Testament. So, Peter is quoting Psalm 118. In 118, you don't have to turn there, it's, it's, it's all about God's steadfast love, even in the face of opposition. You know, he's saying that those opposing God mistake the cornerstone. Okay, and the cornerstone is that's something that's that's something that's needed, it's something that's valuable. You have to have it. And those opposing God mistake something valuable for something worthless. And Peter understands that this psalm is, in fact, talking about Jesus, okay? He, he gets that it's talking about Jesus. People will reject Jesus because they don't see him as what Jesus is, and they don't understand his value. So when the Sanhedrin reject Christ, you know, that's, that's not a surprise to Peter. That's not a surprise to the disciples. That is to be expected. And Peter goes on, verse 12. He says that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Okay, so Peter knows this. He's convinced of this, that Jesus is the way to salvation. He's been taught by Jesus himself, he knows it's in Scripture. Peter knows his Bible, and he's, he's saying that there is salvation in nothing else. That's the thrust of what he's saying, that there is salvation in nothing else, that there is no ruler, that there is no nation, that there is no idea, there's no resource, there is no other way of living, that it is Christ. That is salvation. And humans try and, you know, we try and find all kinds of ways to, to save ourselves, in a sense. We try to save ourselves however we can to find some kind of hope. You know, whether we're looking for something to, to change our circumstances or just to change how we feel, you know, we want some kind of peace. You know, we might look to the latest trends, you know, we, we can look to doctors, we can look to, to philosophers, we can look to, we can even look to politicians, and we're looking at these people to solve our deepest problems. It's a huge temptation. And then here comes Peter saying, no, there is salvation, okay? There is salvation. Salvation in the fullest sense of the word, okay? There is hope. There is life. There is peace. Everything you're looking for is here. It's in Christ. This solves our deepest problems, that we can be reconciled to God, and it's only in Christ. That's salvation. That's what Peter's proclaiming. And this was always a part of God's plan. This was always a part of God's plan. And really the rest of the church gets this too, okay? The rest of the early church understands this as well. So look down at verse 24, skip ahead a little bit. So just like Peter, they understand what's going on. They know what's going on. So verse 24, just skim over it, okay? So, so what, or how does, the, how does the prayer start here? What do we see Okay, well, we see it's addressed to the Sovereign Lord who made all things, okay? It is addressed to the Sovereign Lord who made all things. And when they're calling, this is not merely a title of the Lord, okay? This isn't just a title. This is who He is. When they call Him Sovereign Lord, they're referring to a ruler who has absolute authority, He's able to do whatever he pleases. In this, in this sense, they're using, there's no negative connotations to this. This is a good thing. They're speaking of a ruler, a sovereign Lord who is just and who is righteous and who is good. And we too, just like them, we too have to be convinced that God reigns. We have to be convinced that God reigns, that he is the sovereign king of all things. That's the foundation of our trust, and we must have a deep conviction about this too. Then they go on. Let's go down to verse 26. The believers quote another psalm. So everyone's quoting psalms. And this time, it's Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is about the kings of the earth setting themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. In Psalm 2, it just goes on to tell about how God has chosen a group of people to be a blessing to the nations. Okay, that goes all the way back to Genesis 12. We're talking about the whole Old Testament here. But it's about how God chose a people to be a blessing to all the nations, but other nations are constantly fighting against God's people. So in the psalm, the, the enemies surround God's people, and the psalmist declares that the Lord is his strength. Life is in the Lord, and he rejoices in God's steadfast love. He rejoices in God's steadfast love, even in the midst of suffering. It's actually interesting that uh, the early church doesn't quote this, but in the psalm, the verses that immediately follow this, uh, it actually goes on to say that the king set himself against The Lord. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. He mocks them. He scoffs at them. This opposition, it's in vain. It's in vain. So we keep going along here, get down to verse 28. And it says, To do whatever your plan had predestined to take place. And I love this. Okay, we're just, we're unambiguously told that everything is going according to plan. There's no way around that. There's no way around that. So you see, it's going according to plan. There's opposition, sure, but it's going according to plan. And the opposition, it's... Because you see, God's reign, His, his, his kingdom, is, it threatens our little human kingdoms. You know, it challenges the way that we want to rule. It challenges the way that we want to do things. Because we just, you know, we want to be our own rulers. We, I mean, look at the religious leaders. We want to do things that seem right to us. the best way that seems good to us, but the Lord's kingdom comes into that. It challenges that. There's opposition there. So, God's plan is going to happen. We've got that. We've established that. That's great. That's good. Okay, so what next? So, am I just, like, forced to join this side because, you know, they're going to win, so I just have to make my claim over here? Why do it if it's easier to be silent, you know? Well, good news for you is not only is this going to happen, but this is the best thing that could happen. This is the best thing that could happen. So, we refuse to give in to temptation. We refuse to be silent, and we continue to proclaim Christ because we have an unshakable confidence that God's kingdom will be fully established That's what we see here. This this cannot be stopped, and we want this kingdom to come. That's the thing. We want this kingdom to come. We want the news to be proclaimed. We want people to know about this because we know that Jesus is so much better than anything out there, that He is the way to salvation. In Him, there is eternal life. God's ways are good and just. They're good, and He's in control. He's the sovereign Lord. It's part of the plan. And the Christian makes his or her stand on the winning side because we know the Scriptures. We know that this is good. It's good. So, friends, I I would encourage you, know your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Read the Word. Get in the Word. It was their foundation, and it's our foundation. We have to know this. It will give you strength. And as you read, you will be encouraged. You will see things you didn't see. And you will taste and see how sweet Jesus is. And how sweet Jesus is even in the midst of opposition. Even when things get hard. So we know the Scriptures. We know the Scriptures make sense of our opposition. It gives meaning and hope to it. And point two, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, if you haven't by noticed by now, it's, it's all over the book of Acts. Okay, it's all over the book of Acts. It's mentioned a few times in our chapter. And before I say anything else there, I just want to remind my brothers and sisters in Christ that God has put his Holy Spirit in you. God has put his Holy Spirit in you. It dwells in you. It empowers you. It empowers you to live and to act in new ways. And we have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. So, let's back up one more time. Let's look at Peter's speech again, see what Peter has to say. So, let's go to verse 8. verse 8, right before his speech, what are we told? Well, we're told that that Peter is filled with the Spirit. All right, so what's, what's the point of this little detail? Why include those few words in there? Okay, well, it shows that the source of Peter's boldness where all this is coming from, okay, that's not you and me. That's not Peter. The source of the boldness boldness tells us that it's God working in Peter, that the Holy Spirit, it will cause you to do things that you never thought you could do. It's going to cause you to do things that you never thought that you could do. So your life as a Christian, your life as a Christian will put you in places where you have to answer for your faith. You will face those opportunities. And it can make you anxious. You know, I get it. Now I'm thinking about our evangelism campaign. Who's your one? Yeah, it can make you anxious. It can be scary. But there's no need to be afraid because you have the Holy Spirit, okay? You have the Holy Spirit. We're reminded of Jesus' teaching, actually. Jesus himself teaches over in Luke 21... Luke 21 12, in the following verses, Jesus says that the moments of persecution, they're opportunities to bear witness. That moments of persecution are opportunities to bear witness. And he goes on to say that, you know, don't think about how you'll answer beforehand because he will give you the words to say in the moment, and your adversaries will not know how to respond. It's an amazing promise. You know, he's not saying, Jesus isn't saying, okay, well, you know, don't study your faith, don't think about how to present the gospel clearly, you know, don't, you know, don't worry about talking about your faith. He's not saying that at all, but he's reminding you that grace will come to you in that moment, okay? The grace will come to you in that moment, and you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. The Spirit will be there. The Spirit will be there, and that's ultimately our source of strength is God himself. So, we keep going again. Go down to verse 13. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, uh, the disciples were uneducated and common. Men. I love this. They said that they were uneducated and common men, and yet the religious leaders, these guys who knew everything about the Bible, they had no idea how to respond to these guys. That's the power of God's Word right there. That's the power of God's Word. And this encourages me so much that God chooses the weak to shame the strong. So it doesn't matter who you are, how much you know, The Spirit gives us the power and the grace we need in the moments we need it. The Spirit gives us the power and grace that we need in the moment we need it. It's going to happen. So the Spirit meets us. The Spirit's there. The Spirit will meet us in the moment. And what's the result? What comes next? What's boldness? It's boldness, a boldness that comes from the Lord. So boldness here, boldness is it's a confidence, it's a freedom to speak out. And this specific kind of boldness comes from the Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And I really, truly believe that the Lord is faithful to do these things. He's faithful to do these things. Yeah, I can give you numerous examples, numerous examples, but kind of on a, on a much lesser level. Okay, as I was reading this passage, uh, I was just thinking about my time in seminary. I was thinking about my time in seminary. So so when I was in school, I'd go with my wife, Lauren, to work events all the time. Okay, so people are people are hanging out, there's small talk going on, everyone's having a good time, we're getting along. And inevitably, the question would always come up: so what do you do? What do you do for a living? Let me tell you that nothing kills a conversation faster than telling someone that you're in seminary. It's amazing. You know, suddenly everyone needs to go refill their drinks, or they need to go get more food. And then the worst is when there's just silence. There's just that awkward silence in the conversation. I hate that. It's really tempting to figure out a response to help lessen the awkwardness in those situations. Okay, so, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm in school. Oh, cool, what do you study? You know, I study theology, a little bit of philosophy. Oh, neat. Okay that communicates an entirely different message, communicates an entirely different message than saying, hey, I'm in seminary, this is what I believe, I'm sticking to it, so it's tempting to present our faith as something that it's not, you know, many times I was silent, you know, I wasn't relying on the spirit, I wasn't being bold, and I'm just trying to figure out something to say to make the moment less awkward, but man, the times that I did talk boldly, those were great conversations, those were good conversations, and also, just, just to be clear, too, there, there's a good way to do this. There's a good way to be, to be bold, okay? We're not <laughs> trying to be obnoxious. We're not trying to intentionally make people mad. You know, I heard someone say, okay, well, just look at Peter, okay? He's not, he's not imposing this on the religious leaders. He's appealing to them, and I like that. He's not imposing but, he, imposing, but he is appealing, okay? He is boldly proclaiming the gospel and the opportunities he had. We see him create opportunities. We see him take advantage of the opportunities, and he does it with skill and with wisdom. So we're not, you know, we're not naturally bold to speak of Christ. That comes from the Holy Spirit. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And friends, one of the best ways, one of the best ways that we can rely on the Spirit is through prayer. One of the best ways we can learn to rely on the Holy Spirit is through prayer. Okay, our lives should be characterized by prayer. Prayer should characterize the Christian walk in the early church. I love these verses. It just it paints such a beautiful picture of God's people coming together to pray. Okay, they're persecuted and their first impulse. Their first impulse is to gather together as one and pray. So let's skip ahead to the prayer. Jump back with me over to verse 21, or first, verse 24, excuse me. Okay, so what have we talked about? Thinking about the prayer. Okay, well, they pray to the sovereign Lord. They mention the plan. They mention the predestined events. There's this idea of sovereignty. So before they even pray for boldness, before they even get to the prayer request, these believers, they're filling their thoughts with providence. They're filling their thoughts with the majesty of God. They're meditating on God and His beauty. So there's a theologian named John Stott, and he tells us that, reflecting on this passage, he he tells us that this was the early church's understanding of God we see right here. This is the early church's understanding of God. It's the God of creation, the God of revelation, the God of history, whose characteristic actions are summarized by three verbs. You made, you spoke, and you decided. That's their understanding of the Lord. Okay, that's, oh, that's their understanding of the Lord. They pray to a large and glorious God. We pray to a large and glorious God. And this God, oh, he loves to answer our prayers. The Lord loves to answer our prayers. So skip down just a little bit. What, what happens in verse 31? Let's look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered Was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The place was shaken, and the Spirit came, and they were bold. So, there's one more theologian. I'll mention his name. His name is Sinclair Ferguson, and he has this to say in response to this teaching. He says that this is the most important thing in all the world for the Church of Jesus Christ that this is the most important thing in all the world for the church of Jesus Christ. As we gather together, there should be such a sense of God coming down in response to the request of His people that we feel that we could never be the same again having been in the glory of His presence. Oh, I love that. We're gathered together. We're praying. There's a sense of God coming down. And we feel that we could never be the same again, having been in the glory of His presence. That's why we love prayer. That's why we love prayer. That's why we do things like the monthly prayer meetings. We get to know God. We get God Himself, and our God loves to answer prayer. So echoing Ferguson one more time, He says, may it never be said of you and me that we did not have because we did not ask. May it never be said of you and me that we did not have because we did not ask. Also, let's pray for boldness. Ask for boldness. Let's pray for the Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. Pray for boldness. Pray for the Holy Spirit. And I want to leave you with this passage from Hebrews 10. This is a passage from Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39, okay? And we get to Hebrews, and and the author is is calling Christians to look to Christ, to have a full assurance of faith. He's reminding us that that our focus on not, when we face opposition, our focus is, it's not on what's lost, okay? Our focus is on Christ. We have a better and more abiding possession. And it says this in verse 35, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Okay, so there's going to be opposition of all kinds. We're going to leave here. We're going to go about our week. You will face oppos- oppositions. You will even have opportunities to proclaim the gospel. There's going to be that temptation to be silent shrink back. But church, we are not those who shrink back because we know the Scriptures and we're filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you hear us when we pray and that you love your children and you love to give us good things. So Lord, we ask this week as we go that you would fill us with boldness, that you would give us opportunities to declare your name And Lord, give us a love for you. Let us taste and see how sweet Jesus is that we would want to proclaim your name. In your name we pray, amen.